We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst. Joined today by Simon Campbell, as always, and by Daily Mail journalist Craig Hope. Craig, thanks so much for joining me once again. No problem. Great to speak to you. Um, the podcast that we did with, with you in the summer was incredibly successful and well listened to. So more of the same, please. Yeah, which has been st- still number one, I believe, <laughs> out of all the Northeast journalists you've done. So we've got, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's something for the last of us Friday <laughs> one day. Um, I start off, Craig, by by talking a little bit about the things that you mentioned last time we spoke. To see if anything has changed, and we'll talk a little bit about how it's been for you. The championship under Benitez as a, as a journalist who concentrates uh, predominantly on the Premier League. So last time you spoke to us, you said that um, last season Newcastle was no fun to cover, and that the media, uh, other people who controlled the media outputs, didn't want to play the game with you, you yourself. You got banned, and also other journalists. Have things changed? And if they have, why do you think that is? Because they've realised they're wrong. Yeah, they, they, they have changed, definitely. Uh, and that has come from... It took relegation for Newcastle United to realise an awful lot in terms of how they... At uh, all levels of the football club, from, from, from the press to, to media to, to, to marketing to ticketing to playing staff to yeah, everything, it took relegation to, to press reset. Uh, so I think we can now, at the start of the season, I think we posed the question, didn't was relegation a good thing for Newcastle United? And I think tentatively I said, well, well, yes, I think I think it is, I think it will be, I think I think it should be. I think we can sit here now, six months on, and say, absolutely, for me, I think it's no longer a dirty secret on Tyneside that this football club absolutely needed relegation. To answer your question, Alex, in terms of uh, press relations, yeah, it's, it's been better. Listen, I can, I can ring up now and say, I fancy speaking to, to Daryl Murphy or, or Christian Atsu or Matt Ritchie or Dwight Gale, and they'll say, right, no problem, we'll go away and ask the boys. Last year, we didn't have any of that. It was very much a, an us and them. We were the, we were the enemy. And I, I said this to, we, we had a, well, I couldn't too much deal, we had a meeting with the powers that beat Newcastle uh, a few months back. And I said, you know, last season, I said, if you treat us like the enemy, we will behave like the enemy. And you don't want to make an enemy of a journalist, especially not journalists who've got good contacts at the football club as well. And what you found last season was a lot of bad news stories coming out. Now, that wasn't me shit-stirring or, or, or deliberately causing trouble. It was because the more I dug, the, the, the deeper I went, the more I realised how many bad news stories were there. In the end, it drove this wedge between myself in the football club. Not limitedly, I was, I was banned at various juniors. It just created this horrible, toxic atmosphere and I always say sort of bad energy breeds bad energy and you had players fighting with players you, 
there was just this, this whole environment and this whole atmosphere of, of mistrust and it was awful. Now this season they've sort of relaxed everything towards the press. You know, they're, they're, they're giving you the what, a little off the record steer. You're allowed to speak to the players. Rafa's brilliant. Rafa will talk to you on the record, off the record. And everything is just the way it should be. Now listen, that doesn't mean I'm not doing my job and I'm not away there looking for, for these so-called bad news stories which exist. I want to I want to break all stories. I want to tell the supporters the truth and there are still some tales like that out there. But certainly now they've realised that, listen, treat the press as the baddies, the lack as the baddies. And I, I, for one, I think we've got that wrong with, with me personally, massively. Uh, this year, listen, it, it's been far easier to cover and far more enjoyable to cover. winning football matches at the end of the day. So, so no, to answer your question, Alex, it, it has been better. I think they've got the press side of things right. But the big question is when they go back up, and they will go back up, they've got to take that into the Premier League. Do you think uh, that's all come from the manager? Do you think that the media people themselves, in terms of whether it comes right from the very top, um, or whether you're, you're, you're the head of media and Wendy yeah. Taylor and Lee Marshall and stuff, do you think that they've been as important as, as Rafa, or do you think that Rafa kind of took one look at the toxic situation you inherited yeah, yeah. last season and thought, come on, let's sort this out? No, I think without Rafa, I don't think this happens. And that's not a reflection of the guys in the media department. So they were. I think they were as frustrated as anybody at times last year, and they have obviously got to answer to their peer masters in terms of uh, what the media policy is. And I think, I think they're mighty relieved that uh, that Rafa has come in and insisted that the the media policy does change. But to go back to my point, without Rafa, it doesn't change. Rafa Benitez is the guy who was taking one look at this and thought, "Bloody hell, come on, you know, why why are we treating these guys with such disdain and so?" antagonising us almost you know, just little things like the, the food and the press box which, which never goes down well with supporters really think well, why should you really be fed but just little things like that it was needlessly antagonising us as a, as a press body the preferred media partner everything like that just, just, just didn't create a, an atmosphere which, which brought it well for positive coverage and for, for, for the two sort of uh, the two entities getting on so, but no it is because of Rafa absolutely He's not daft Rafa, listen, he's managed at Real Madrid, he's managed at Liverpool, he's managed it at not bigger clubs at Newcastle United, but clubs whereby you need everything to be working in unison to give yourself the best chance. And you just thought, you know what, if we've got the press inside, we have a better chance, everyone together going forward. And no, it is because of him that things have changed. And, and so far, you know, touch what so far, so good. But the, the test will come next year back in the Premier League. How do you think Rafa at Newcastle has been perceived at a national level? Because obviously you still have. have Correct me if I'm wrong. But the lot of stuff I see, right, is predominantly about Sunderland and Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah. As a result, is it is it very much of a case of the your colleagues at the Daily Mail are, are kind of well, let's look at them next season, the championship, mm. the championship, or has there been a little bit more interest in there than normally would be for a championship club? At the start of the season, when you cast and you were losing games, were a huge story. That, <laughs> uh, national deaths were clapping their hand, brilliant, getting beat every week. Uh, so that's just the way it is. Listen, yeah. it, it, in, in journalism, you work in extremes. The last club you ever want to cover is Stoke or West Brom yes. where you're 11th or 12th no one gives a fuck basically if you've got Newcastle United and they're either winning games or the losing games so we had that little spell before Christmas didn't we when Newcastle went on that brilliant run and the most well the Wakeland club records weren't they they were a story then because my, my desk in London were ringing me and it's the Raffolution what's it all about we want the inside story what's he changed in the dressing room what's he tra- changed in the canteen in the medical room with the press everything so, so we got a good hit then we got a good hit at the start of the season January was good because there was very clearly all, all was not well behind the scenes we'll probably touch on that 
a little bit more later on. So, so yeah, it's sort of been peaks and troughs with Newcastle this season, even though they've been up there for the entirety of the, the campaign at the top of the championship. In terms of national interest, it'll peak every now and again when there's something really good or there's something really bad or, or the, the John Joe Shelby affair or, or, or this, that and the other. But, but yeah, the, the, the interest is still there. We're trying to treat them as the 21st Premier League club. That was the intention at the start of the season, but you've almost seen in the Premier League now, in terms of national coverage, there's not really a great deal outside of the top six and then the one or two crisis clubs at the bottom. So, so yeah, I think they've had a good hit. They've certainly had more coverage than a, than a Brighton or a, or a Sheffield or a Leeds. Absolutely, I've got some great interviews in the paper, big full pages with the likes of Dwight Gale uh, and Matt Ritchie and so on. So, so, yeah, that interest is there, but certainly when they come back next year, we're after in the Premier League. It'll be huge again, definitely. You talked about the players there that you, you've had the chance to interview. Do you think that the, I mean, this is going to be a, sound a bit silly because obviously they're good football players and we had good football players at the club before, they just maybe were mismanaged or mis-signed for the wrong reasons. Do you think, from what from your interviews with those lads, do you think they're better people? I know that's a bit harsh mm. on the people who were here before, but so, say Matt Ritchie, for example, I yeah. mean, it was a surprise to a lot of people that he left Bournemouth. I know you could talk about the respective size of the two clubs, but at the end of the day, Premier League guaranteed Bournemouth done well to drop down to Newcastle. Do you think that, that Rafa's signings have been good for the football club as a whole? I do, yeah. And listen, when I when I sit down and do these interviews, I, I don't know if you've read them, but the one thing the one thing I get away from is I don't want to know who you played on Saturday. I don't want to know about momentum. I don't want to know about the, 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 the comeback last weekend. I sit down, I sit down up to these lads, I said the same to both Matt and Dwight. I said, I said, I want to get to know about you as a person. I said, I want to tell the story of the the person behind the player and if you remember the, the Dwight interview it was great they, they both enjoyed it they really opened up Dwight especially about uh, working in the uh, the city of London as a carpenter he was 21 year old sprinting through the, the commuters to get to Liverpool Street to get his train back out to Essex to play in front of like a man and his dog and if he got the winner the, the, the guy would give him a five I said that was my only wage if I got the winning goal this we had this nut in the stand they followed us everywhere I used to used to pay the match winner uh, and those are nice stories to tell. And what he realises is that Rafa signed human beings. He signed proper people. Matt Ritchie as well, who's absolutely loved talking about his son and singing the Matt Ritchie's magic son to his, his little boy, Harry, around the house and telling stories about first coming through with Dagenham and Redbridge and living above a pub. And it was like, yeah, I meant to be a professional footballer. And it's just nice to get those The two things I walked away from sitting down with those guys was, you know what? Deep down, you're good, you're good lads, you just love playing football and you want to win and you, you want the very best for yourself. Now, in the past, we don't have to name names, do we? we had a few who weren't really interested in that. It was all about sort of you know, putting... We were using Newcastle as a stepping stone to get somewhere else and we're more bothered about the bank balance than there were the, point, the, the, the points that I think we, we don't really name any names. But these guys there now, I think they are fostering a bit of a team spirit. I don't think it's yet the level of 2009-10 where you had really good Kevin Noel and Nicky Conan Smith. We know all about uh, that era and what happened there. But, but nonetheless, I do think there's some good guys in there. Kieran Clark, Matt Ritchie, Dwight Gale. I think John Joe Shelby's got his flaws, but I do think he is a... a, a a good sort of British lad who, who does ultimately love playing football. So now I, I think Rafa is building a better squad than certainly we've had in recent years in terms of character, uh, determination, and just being good blokes, basically, you'd want to have a pint with. Don Joe is an interesting one because he started the season out of the team, mm. which, I mean, it's, I don't know how you feel because you cover football for a living, but mm. as fans, we go to a lot of the games, obviously we record for you people listening, and I write a lot for True Faith, so the side. 
it's been an utterly exhausting season in terms of the number of games, the turnarounds, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, you think about uh, Fulham in August, it yeah. seems like a, a different yeah, lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, I was at that game and Shelby wasn't, it was no surprise Shelby didn't start. He wasn't in the, in the first team picture. And then you look at Huddersfield, Brighton to an extent, Huddersfield, Rafa's got him playing as a defensive midfielder, mm. sweeping up, tap making tackles in front of the back yeah, four. Yeah. Do you think that's do you think that's been a success story of the season? The fact that Rafa's managed to reintegrate a talent like Shelby when it looked like start of the season he was possibly not in his plans. We can go back further than that. We can go back to the end of last season when you've got a twelve million pound footballer who's been at the football club for what six weeks, eight weeks, and he, he, he had this tremendous start. And Rafa comes in and identifies him as someone whose head's not in the right place and drops him for really key matches in that that relegation running. There was a little bit of a hangover of that at the start of this season, of course. But I think he had a bit of a light bulb moment during the summer. Uh, he came back. He had, he had a personal trainer working with him pretty much every day before the rest of the guys even came back. And I think it took them a little bit of a little bit of a while of this season for that to show itself. But listen, he's been tremendous. I think he's been Newcastle's best player. When he's in the side. I always feel a little bit more confident that you've got a, what's that word, a standard bearer there. Somebody who will drag others up to his standard of trying to get hold of a game and trying to dictate things. And absolutely, you made the point, is it one of the success stories of the season? I think without John Joe Shelby and the form he's been, the way he's been driving the team forward, up the pitch, and, and just his, 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 the, the, the racism thing aside, his whole mentality whole will to win and get the best out of himself this year. I think he's probably been Newcastle's arguably player of the season. You've got the likes of Matt Ritchie and Dwight Gale uh, compete with him and Kieran Clark for, for different reasons as well. But certainly Shelby's influence in the transformation of, 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 of getting a player who seemed to be, he could have been a problem player. That's the big thing with John Joe Shelby. He could have been a real problem and a negative influence. Rafa's turned the negative into a positive. And for me, it's been uh, very, very good management, clever management. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the squad now and we'll go into the problems or perceived problems that Rafa had in January. Do you think that Rafa Benitez made good signings in the summer in terms of how the season has progressed, both in terms of the players, the Richies, the Gales, and maybe the, the, the lads who haven't featured as much? He got some right, he got some wrong, didn't he? You know, it, it, I think that's, that's fair to say. Uh, the ones he got right for me, I think Clark, Richie. In Gale for what a combined 27 million was it 12, 10, and 5? 27 million for those three players. I think you've got to include Daryl Murphy in, as a positive for, yeah. what, for, what he, for what he cost and the contribution he's made already. Oh, yeah. So 30 million for them four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, just, just forget Murphy one second. I think yeah. he's, a, he's a different type of saying those three, I think, are three okay. signings who will, are good enough to take you open it, be good enough to be Premier League players, is the point I've made. So I'd say those are three tremendous signings. I'd say Darren Murphy is a good signing in terms of it was a situation signing. He bought him for a purpose, he bought him for a reason. We had that little run last, last month, didn't we, where he came in and did a job. I think we're now going to see something similar, well, certainly at the weekend, and over the next couple of games, something something similar to that as Dwight Gale feels his way back to fitness. So he probably got more right than he, than he got wrong. The others who came in, and he's done okay, he's, he's done a job, there's been one or two probably weren't good enough for likes of uh, Lazar in, in, in the case of Gamas, uh, Chris Inatsu has been okay, he's yeah. doing alright, so, so yeah, there's been three or four good, three or four okay, two or three not so good, but when you sign in 10 or 11 players, there's always going to be that, that ratio for me. So the the story in January, I mean, you, you're gonna, you can disprove and knock some of these down if uh, you want before we talk about the big problem, was that 
if I put to you, it was reported that Mike Ashley thought Newcastle should have been making easier work of the division and that Benitez had wasted money by ignoring Graham Carr's advice on, on some of the players you've mentioned there. How Was there any truth in, in either of those allegations? I think, I think Mike did think they should have been doing slightly better. Uh, definitely. I also think he thought that Rafa had enough and had been given enough to get out of the division without the need for, for investing in January. Rafa's point was, quite understandably, quite okay, but if I think we need one player for the sake of 12 to 15 million, which is what it was going to cost for Andros Townsend, why not bring him in just to see us over, line, over the line, especially as it would be a signing which will then be good enough to take us up into the, into the Premier League and, and stay as part of the squad. I sided with Rafa on this massively in terms of my own judgment, stepping back as a journalist, surveying all of the uh, the evidence there. I thought, why not say Andros Townsend? Listen, come on, it's a, it's a player who had for some reason hit upon something what worked for him at Newcastle. Didn't really work for him at Tottenham. Crystal Palace subsequently didn't do do very well, which is why he was, he was available and why he wanted to come. Just bring him back, just give Rafa what he wants at the end of the day. It was Rafa Benitez, you know what I mean? You've, you've got a manager there who has sorted the club out in the space of six months, has transformed so many levels of the football club, just give him what he wants, don't risk upsetting the apple cart for the sake of either a point of principle or the sake of a few million pounds with, with Crystal Palace. So, so no, for me, uh, I mean, listen, you guys all, all read the stories that towards the end of the window that Rafa wasn't happy, that he wasn't happy. Uh, that he could quit in the summer. Uh, listen, he still could go. If, if whether you choose to believe us as, as journalists or not, that, that's that's up to you guys at the end of the day. But listen, I'm telling you, there's still a little bit of legs left in this story yet. But I think Rafa's thought, okay, put it to bed for now, and we'll see where we are. When we think promotion first and foremost, get that out of the way, then we revisit the issues of Graham Carr, the issues of finance, the issues of who he's got the final say control, the level of target that the football club wants to identify and wants to go for, what the ambition is for next season. For now, believe me, trust me, they are all unanswered questions, absolutely. So to that end, we've still, there's still a little bit of legs left in this story uh, in terms of will or will not Rafa Benitez be in charge next season. To, uh, 11 points clear, sat here talking before Reading tonight, obviously Huddersfield could win and they have a game in hand, we could lose and it's five to five points, but if you look at the games we've got coming up, particularly against lesser teams, you'd, you'd think now Newcastle are home and dry. How quickly do you think the club will be willing to solve this in the summer? Because the last thing presumably they want, with season tickets going on sale and that kind of stuff, is another massive summer of discontent. And I and other people were kind of praised the club in the summer because as soon as that, that last ball was kicked against Spurs, they sat down with Rafa for allegedly for two weeks and we got sorted yeah. in the middle of May. Right, we're done. We know what's happening next season. Can you say something happening like that this time or is there far more politics involved? Listen, once it, it's certain as if Newcastle will be as good as promoted, I, I think those conversations will, will certainly be taking place in terms of the, 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 the elements I, I mentioned there before. Control, what happens to Graham Carr, still a little bit of a, a, an issue with the club. Uh, finance, ambition, all the rest of it. Uh, and what they've got to do is what Rafa will want to do. They've already started, we've spoken to him, they've already started identifying targets, they've already started to draw up lists in terms of different scenarios, different ages, different positions. Uh, you'll want to be ready to go on the bay of the band once once they go into the summer. If you look at two of the signings they had done relatively early last year, uh, Matt Ritchie and Dwight Gale, they got them really before the new TV money prices kicked in. If you bought Matt Ritchie for me, 
two months down the line, at the end of August, he might have been a £20 million player. Dwight Gale might have been a £15 million player. So I think Rafa, again, will look at that and think, if you get your business done early, you avoid having the, the you avoid getting caught up in the summer inflation. It does happen. Prices snowball as the summer goes on. So you want to get that business done early. Uh, I think you mentioned there, Alex, and I think they will go up. I think the past week I was down in Brighton. That goal, as hilarious as it was, just had the feel of a, an absolutely season-defining moment. It really did. We will look back on the end of the season at that in one laugh. And two, look back and think that was the moment which just really, when things were in the balance, just tipped it in in Newcastle's favour. Uh, I hope, I really do hope that Mike Ashley sees sense, sees the reaction of, of supporters as to what was reported at the end of January and just says, listen, Rafa, you're the gaffer. You tell us what you want and how we're going to play it. And let's go. We've got a few things planned with Bellingham Flags to get yeah. a message across. Yeah, everything we can. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go back because as... As a group of fans, we want to believe that there's not too much going on behind the scenes because we want to believe that Rafa's going to stay in there. Nothing so ridiculous has happened that he's really considering leaving. But for me, the Crystal Palace side of the Andros Townsend deal, like, he was, he was playing every week for Palace. It's Sam Dice, who we know has got a bit of history with Rafa. Was the deal always on the cards from there? And was it a case of he's there for the taking, or was there more? Were they messing us around a bit? I kind of want to believe that there was more to it. You know what? I thought I knew the truth. I really did. During the entire the transfer window, everything I was hearing was Townsend wants to come. Uh, the deal is in place. Uh, Rafa certainly thought it was. And, and, you know, Rafa's the manager. He thought it was all good to go there. Since the window's closed, I've heard that Palace were perhaps was stringing Newcastle along all along. And that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, as you took on their side, that Pebby's Allardyce and Palace was getting a little bit of a kick out of it, yeah. stringing Newcastle along all along. So, the truth is that all these things probably exist somewhere in between. Uh, but certainly, Rafa's angst and Rafa's frustration come from a very definite belief that he thought the Townsend deal could be done if the powers of Newcastle United said, OK, let's go for it. And the bigger one was that he didn't seem to know what had happened. That was what concerned everyone. That's what came through in the interviews he did after yeah. the uh, QPR, QPR game. game. Um, was that he didn't know what had happened. He didn't know why it had happened. So that was... Yeah, I think that's what he was... He, it was one of those answers where don't know, don't know something says, oh, I, I don't know. It was a very, very loaded don't know. It was almost a, don't ask me, I don't know. Go in, ask somebody else. They're the ones who messed it up sort of thing. But uh, no, he wasn't. He certainly wasn't happy in that first press conference after the transfer window. Uh, that, much, uh, that much was clear. Where do you think this leaves Lee Charney? Because uh, particularly in the summer and September, Rafa is massively almost, I've never heard a manager big up uh, an MD before, but Marshall, uh, Rafa was con- constantly saying, Lee, "Me and Lee, I tell Lee, Lee does this. Me and Lee work really well together." Has that relationship fractured, perhaps a little bit because of January? I don't think so. No, no. I, I always think Lee Charney's in a difficult position because he's caught between who does he work for? Does he, he does he work for the manager? Is that his priority in handling Rafa Benitez's as sort of wants and wishes, or does he work for Mike Ashley in handling his wants and wishes? So. It's a very difficult role he's got. Uh, I think Lee has realised on a lot of levels the mistakes which were made last season. He's made every effort to, to repair those. And I think he would have hated January. I think he would have thought, oh no, not again. Please don't put me between uh, a, a rock and a hard place for, for, for want of a better phrase. I don't think that relationship would have been fractured. No, I think Rafa sees Lee uh, as his man, as his, uh, his sort of avenue to, to get those sorts of messages to, to Mike Ashley. 
uh, there may be trouble ahead on in, in that respect in terms of going back to the question I just posed there, how does Lee Charney actually work for and who's the answer to? Well, ultimately, it's probably Mike Ashley. So if Mike Ashley in the summer says Rafa's getting F all in Graham Carr's still in charge of identifying targets and we'll sign who I want to sign, we'll sign players under 24 to sell on value and that puts Lee in a, in a very difficult position. So so that one for now is probably is still uh, being determined going forward, I would say. But I think I think the relationship for now is uh, certainly isn't fractured, uh, definitely not. Changing facts a little bit, one player who divides fan opinion like no one else I can remember anyway, my short period supporting Newcastle relatively, is Alexander Mitrovic. Mm. Can you can you give us anything kind of that you've picked up from from um, chats with players or, or people within the club about why, for example, Newcastle played two massive away games, three yeah. tonight against Redden, you'll play no no minutes in any of those games. What's what's going on with him? Listen, this probably doesn't take journalist insight uh, to reveal that Rafa probably doesn't fancy him, does he? I don't think he fancies him as a player or necessarily a character either. And it wouldn't, I, I think his time at the club is pretty much as good as up now, as long as Rafa stays here. I think Mitrovic will move on in the summer when you, you've got a £12 million sign in there and you're choosing to play 33-year-old Daryl Murphy in front of him. No, that's no disrespect to Daryl Murphy. I think he's coming or, in. Or even Dufran. He's done fantastically well. But Mitrovic was always a gamble. If you go back to, to when they first signed him uh, two summers ago, I don't know if I told you this story in the last podcast, I'll tell you it again. I went out to Brussels. It was quite summer. There wasn't a great deal going on. We signed this guy, Mitrovic, on the verge of signing him, sorry. Uh, and I thought he looks like a bit of a character. It was, it was quite summer. I got the train, got the Eurostar over to Brussels, went to a, a, an Andelic game, a pre-season friend against Lazio. I spoke to his former teammates. I spoke to the manager. Uh, I spoke to journalists there. I went in the pub outside the ground. Spoke to the barman who Alex and I used to go in all the time and meet his family for for coffee after the games. So I got so much background information on him. And the picture which was painted was Newcastle was signing a fucking lunatic. Basically, <laughs> and the, the headline in the Daily Mail was uh, what was it? It was uh, uh, a, a five-year-old trapped in a monster's body, and the club went off it. <laughs> the club saw the headline. You haven't given the, you've written this guy off before he's even kicked the ball. Give him a bloody chance. You're trouble. You're, you're causing trouble. You're shit stirring. Uh, it was at the time I was on the verge of being, being banned and not banned. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I was banned. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the club didn't like it at all. The club weren't happening. You're causing trouble for no reason. I thought, right, okay. Listen, I've gone out there. All I've done is a journalist has asked questions, and this is what I've got back. And there's a load of anecdotes about him being overweight, about him. Just, just so much of that. I've got to write the story as, as I'm told it. Comes to his home debut against Arsenal, he's sent off after 11 minutes. I turned that little look towards the director's box and thought, Where's that fucking story now? Like, <laughs> uh, and it just showed him. But on the back of that, I thought, Well, if I was in Brussels asking all these questions, where was the club scout on my shoulder doing background checks on Alexander Mitrovic as a character? Where were they? You know, they, by, by the time the story appeared in the Daily Mail, it was too late. He'd signed a five year deal with joint for 12 million quid. But, but you know, they got that one massively wrong in terms of character. There's little bits to like about him as a player, but. It's not as if he's signing a, a tremendous talent who is flawed. He's a he's an okay player with a questionable character. And the reason supporters love him is because he's got the cult hero element to him. He is a he, he is a daft lad. He is a there's something to love and there's something to like about him. And there's not enough Alexander Mitrovic is in the modern game. Definitely not in terms of some of the some of the characteristics he does bring. But ultimately, you've got to be worth it as a player, and he's probably not worth it as a player for. For, for, for that side of things so now I fully expect him to, uh, to move on in the summer but it's been fun hasn't it listen he's given us something to write about uh, during the past couple of scenes I mean you guys 
Are you a yes or a, or a no man? Absolutely not. We're, we're a strong no, but you're right. He's given us so many podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the debate on Twitter is you'll we'll, we'll record our motivation. Even people who listen, who will be listening to this now, who like the podcast, take massive objections. It just seems like, this is such a harsh thing to say, but I think people who, who go to games as much as we do, and like you said, you don't have to be a football journalist to realise that his performances against Blackburn at home, Bristol the other week, the, the management team just must be looking at I think and Dwight Gale and Johan Gufan and Dominic yeah, who yeah. was so much more from a yeah if, if the ball comes into the box and someone's got a free header who do I back probably probably has on the Mitrovic mm. how often does that happen very it's a, very it's rarely it's a good point you make Alex I say this right what I like about Dwight Gale is he's a striker who misses chances by that I mean good strikers get chances yeah. they miss half and they score half Alexander Mitrovic didn't even miss chances. No, you know what I mean? He didn't get chances. Didn't get chances. Yeah. Good strikers get chances. The very best strikers, your Shearers, your Henrys, they get chances and they score the majority of them. Someone like Dwight Gale, he scores one and two. That's okay. That's yeah. all right. At least the guy, when he puts one wide from six yards, he'll come back ten minutes later for the next one. He'll put it in the back of the net. So, so no, for me, I think Dwight Gale has been a brilliant sign. And I think he's put Mitrovic to shame, really, in terms of what he's brought to the, brought to the party this season. And going forward, I think Dwight Gale could be a Premier League striker, but... I wouldn't expect to see Mitrovic at the club next year. And where, where do you see, I suppose we'll have to finish off soon, but where, where do you see, or what do you, uh, if you might have spoken to me yourself, what does Rafa Benitez say is a good season for Newcastle next year? Because the presumption from our part is he's not just going to be looking to finish 17th. Definitely not. No, no, he's, he's, he doesn't want to go up in the remit to be survival. Absolutely not. Now, he might accept the remit, which is a top time finish, and then build from there. And I think supporters would be happy to subscribe for that. And I think Rafa oh, yeah. would as well. Uh, but listen, Newcastle aren't going up there to exist as a, for the for the benefit of Mike Ashley's balance, proving just to feed off the cash cow that is the Premier League. And how depressing would that be? Just when you've hit upon a manager who's got ambition, which exceeds what he previously got for five years under Alan Pardew and uh, the, the fifth place finish apart, of course. But but no, I, I think next year, Rafa, he'll rip it up. Okay, we, we, we'll keep him, we'll keep him, we'll keep him, we'll build a team around the nucleus of the team that got promoted. Rafa will say, if you're not good enough, you're gone. It will be the, 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 the Gavin Peacock, the David Kelly scenario, which Kevin Keegan adopted 25 years ago, whereby he'd be more than happy to say goodbye to players who have given him a good year's service this time round. Uh, for me, I think I touched on it earlier. I think starters in the Premier League next year could be Clark, Richie, Shelby, Gale as a sort of, perhaps in a rotation with somebody uh, just as good or a little bit better after that. I think the rest are perhaps playing for either squad places or will be will be looking elsewhere. So there's still a lot to be determined in that respect. I think a lot hinges on summer recruitment in terms of Mike Ashley's ambition, in terms of Rafa's ability to, to bring in the players he wants and the players the club needs to take that next level. But everything there is is set up to achieve that next year. Listen, if Newcastle go up with Rafa Benitez as manager, there's no reason why you can't return a top 10 finish and then build from there the season after. Let's just hope that a certain Mr. Ashley doesn't mess everything up between now and then because that is the big unanswered question and there still are one or two little things rumbling behind the scenes there that make me as a, as a journalist and as a supporter of, of, of all the North East clubs still a little bit uneasy because we want to see, ultimately we want to see our teams do well and certainly Newcastle United is the one club up here who's got the potential to be something, something special and something fantastic. So, fingers crossed. Yeah, I think that's just the most done us for today. Sign this, you've, uh, you think I've missed yeah, out? Fingers crossed, sums it up. Yeah, <laughs> no, we are now. I think yeah, we're listen, Newcastle's in a good position. It's been a, 
it's been a good season. Uh, I think it's probably gone as well as can be expected this past week. has been absolutely huge. Uh, but one thing I would, would say to supporters is don't be fooled just yet into thinking everything is absolutely rosy in the garden. It's not. There's still a little way to go behind the scenes in terms of getting the club where it needs to be for me going forward next season. But it can happen. It can, ha- it can happen and it should happen, but it won't necessarily definitely happen. See, Cast United for the other. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll hopefully speak to you again. No problem at all, lads. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.